Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast. Man, am I thrilled to bring you this one. I have on today Stephen Tobolowsky. Stephen is a actor that is probably most known for, well, several things. A Groundhog Day, probably the most notorious. His role was unforgettable. But he's been on literally, if you go to his IMDb page, you have to scroll and keep scrolling. He's been on literally hundreds of movies and television shows and Broadway. Um, some of my favorite movies, uh, like right now on Netflix, uh, One Day at a Time, uh, he's, he's been on Law & Order, tons. But ironically enough, this podcast has nothing to do with his role in Hollywood. And it has everything to do with his ability to tell stories. Several years ago, I was um, re- I, I took a different teaching job in a different town. I had a very long drive to work, and I started listening to the Tobolowsky files. And I'm not going to ruin anything as he tells it so much better, but this man has a way of recapturing life. And most importantly, what I really wanted to focus on was the power of reflection, why it's important when you go through some of these journeys in life to reflect on it, whether you write them down or you just pass it on. And I talk about, you know, how I do videos to myself all the time when we get into that. But the passion, the reflection, and the depth of his answers left me, well, I could have talked to him for hours. So I know you're going to love this one. Um, it would mean the world to me if you share it. If if you find joy in it, uh, please share it. Um, we'll also, in the show notes, have uh, the links to the two episodes that we talk about in particular from his show. Uh, but yeah, let me get right to it. This is one I know you're thoroughly going to enjoy. So please join me in welcoming Stephen Tobolowsky. Zoom. Well, no. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Um you so there there was an interesting point in my life where um i'm a reflective person and um one of the things that so i i took this job i decided to take a, a different teaching job and, and one of the challenges was it was going to be now mind you i don't live in los angeles so when you when you hear me opine that i had an hour's drive you're like oh so you were five miles away um but i, I had yeah i i had an hour plus and one of the things I really got uh, used to was listening to audiobooks and or podcasts. And yours blended both, right? And um, there was just some, and, and, and one of the reasons why I'm bringing all this up, there was one where right before I was getting on to an on-ramp to get on the interstate, I had to stop. And it was the one that I, I had asked you about online. And um, the, the way you describe some of your, um, in a lot of cases, the ones I love is your childhood and your parents. I, I have an, a particular strong bond with my mom and dad. Um, and you paint um, words in a way that, and you're a trained actor. So of course, you know how to not just paint your words, but deliver them. So uh, I, 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 and I have to give a credit. There's a guy in my school and his name was Ryan. And I was like, hey, I'm listening to audiobooks and podcasts. He's like, do yourself a favor. Listen to the Tobolowsky files. And um, yeah, so we'll start from there. And I, I fell <laughs> head first. And uh, I've appreciated your work ever since. Um, same way. Welcome. I, this is called a rolling intro. I just, let's just start. This is here. a rolling intro. That's rolling for sure. Intro. That's what we would call that in the biz. Uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, like, let me introduce Stephen Tobolowsky. He is the author of 
Uh, my favorite one being the Dangerous Animals Club. We'll get into that later. Uh, your most recent um, would be uh, My Adventures with God. Help, help me out. That's it. Yeah, My okay. Adventures with God. That's it. All right. Uh, you are a actor whose IMDb uh, page probably a lot of scrolling, like on the level of TikTok infinite scroll. Um, you have, I don't even like for a lot of people, you know, to be fair, a lot of people are going to be interested in this podcast. They already know who you are, but you have been in such great movies as like the most, probably the default when people think about is Groundhog Day, uh, Mississippi Burning, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal favorite, uh, when ever since I kind of rediscovered you, uh, your brief but amazing role in Silicon Valley. That's it was nice. That's the Silicon Valley was a great show, great show. It's amazing. But yeah, I, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show, and, and as we we're just kind of talking in here, um, in my life as a teacher, and, and, and really I'm, I'm lucky, I run a foundation now and, and get, uh, the whole thing is centered around innovation and entrepreneurship. We try to get kids to be able to think for themselves and then be able to come up with solutions. There's a lot of negativity in the world and, and we want them to be able to take a look at things that are negative and build solutions. That being said, um, now we're, I, I really like for students to be reflective. This is probably the longest time I've ever talked and never let my guests talk. <laughs> so let me, just, let me just get into this and say, um, in, let's kick this off. Like you have clearly, um, in all the, the podcasts I listen to clearly reflection has been your thing. Um, when did you all of a sudden decide to start journaling and then recapturing these things? Was this later in life and you're looking back? No. Uh, I, uh, in fact, there's a new podcast that will be coming out with a new group of, of ones that we've recorded, David, that I've recorded about when I started, which was as a kid. And I always took notes of things that happened when I was a kid because I so wanted to be an actor. I thought I was in the, ever running television show, my life in the theater. And I would, in my head, work through, well, this is a very interesting episode of my life in the theater. And and I would talk about what happened to me in second grade and third grade, and I would make notes. And I just found some of these notes today, um, going through a notebook of, of something that I wrote down when I was working in Brazil in the year 2000. And uh, my boys were little and it was about, and going to the park with newborn kids and taking them to the park in the stroller and watching little Robert walk around and then watching this old man. And I call him a grandfather, which I am now. Thank goodness. So this old guy, grandfather on a cane, holding a video camera, photographing, uh, doing little movies of his little kids. And I sat there almost as if I were on another planet thinking, this is the most touching and the strangest thing I've ever seen, that the act of this older man filming his little grandchildren is so moving to me. I wonder why this is. So then I began thinking about it for the next period of time. And the only thing I've come up with for that in terms of your first question is I think that when we look in the mirror, whether we're reflective or not, we see all the ages we ever were. 
And we see all the changes and all the things we loved and hated throughout our entire life in that brief second we look in the mirror. Um, and and the, the amazing thing about life is that we go through periods of time where we amass things, things come in and we grow. And then, as I'm discovering now, as I get older, you go through periods of time in which you lose things. And you got to be ready. You got to be ready for both. There are difficulties to both amassing and there are difficulties to losing. And there's so many things in my head right now. I, I, ironically enough, um, started re-listening to the podcast and one of the ones that I, I played for my wife literally this morning and I was trying not to tear up. It was something I must you hit on uh, is you, you, were, you were reliving some of these stories that your dad wasn't there for. Maybe uh, among the most hardest painful things I've ever heard you say was your dad's greatest accomplishment was his greatest regret in the sense that he wasn't there. He was providing for his kids, which a lot of, a lot of parents can identify with. But in you saying this, this is one of the reasons why I think that you have given, um, and boy, I just hope this doesn't come across like me sucking up and pandering, but you have given a gift in the stories of your reflection. What a great time we live now that we can digitally archive so much. But I'm thinking of, you know, like right now, so my, my, my dad is uh, 78. Mm-hmm. And uh, now all of a sudden it's starting to get important to me on, where did Uncle Frank live? And how did he die? Where did he serve? Which war? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, these things are important to me um, as we get older. One of the things that I've then told my students to do, and actually I, this is one of my favorite things we ever did, in my class at a very odd class called Innovation and Open Source Learning, where the class was you got to learn the things that you wanted to learn is a small section in the school day. And then the open source learning part is like, like one of my kids might be lucky enough to say, Hey, I want to learn how to be a better character actor. So I'm going to contact Stephen Flobolowski. And ironically enough, some of our kids got to hold of some really interesting people, but it was the reflection that I asked them to do every two weeks because every now and then, if I asked them to reflect, they would say things like, you know, now that I hear myself talk out loud and I'd have them either write uh, a short blog Mm-hmm. Uh, an audio clip on their phone and send it to me, or I'd ask them just to record a video and upload to YouTube, set it to private, send it to me. And basically we have a format called the three, two, one video. You give me three things that you're proud of this week, three goals that you hit, <laughs> two things that you regret wow. or wish you would have done better. And one piece of advice you'd give to your future self. And Steven, I've done, started to do this in my own life. I love the Wowie. reaction of your of your face because Wowie. now I'm starting to get an archive that I want my children to go, this is when dad had that crazy idea and it failed. That, that Two things, two things are coming to mind. Do you know the, the story of how the podcast began? No. Okay. Uh, which is an interesting story. So I was almost killed. This, this is part of the reflection is that I went horseback riding and, and the name of this is Afflictions of Love uh, yes. of that podcast. So I went horseback riding third time in Iceland with my wife. Each time we went to Iceland, we have friends there. Uh, our riding teacher in LA is from Iceland. Yeah, we, we have a big Iceland connection. But I got thrown from a horse on the side of an active volcano in Iceland and I broke my neck. And I was going in and out of consciousness for hours. 
they finally get me to Reykjavik and tell me I had a fracture of my fourth vertebra and they're going to put me in a neck brace and I should be fine. Just continue with my vacation, but stay away from the horses. And I said, not a problem. So I get back to Los Angeles and see my doctor and he, I tell him, well, I have this broken neck, a fracture. And he does x-rays. He said, you have been misdiagnosed. You have a fatal injury. Uh, do you want to know why you're alive? And I'm in this cast going, uh-huh. And he said, you have an anomaly in your neck and that most people have a curve in their cervical spine like so, and yours goes like so because your neck had arthritis in it and it warped your neck. So this thing that had given me headaches that I thought was my curse was the reason I wasn't killed on the mountain in Iceland. So I'm at home in a neck brace. There's very little I could do on my own. My wife has to help me eat. She has to help me get dressed. And I have a lot of time to sit out in our yard and think. And that's when this young student from, not that young, David was never that young. He was uh, a graduate student at Harvard. And he wanted to do a podcast called The Tobolowsky Files, where I told true stories uh, about movies, my life in movies. That's David Chen. And so we started doing a movie podcast. And my fourth episode is when my mother passed away. And I went to Dallas. I was there the day she died. And I wrote a podcast episode called The Alchemist about the last 24 hours of my mother's life and how absolutely miraculous that was. And for us, devastating. But in a way, it was miraculous. And I wrote that and David, <laughs> I said, this week's episode is not a movie episode. It's about my mother. And David listened to it and said, write whatever you want to write. Yeah. And from then on, the podcast just became these episodes of whatever I wanted to write about my life. But it began in a very reflective place mm. of I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. So it was very much a matter of going through my notes. Uh, uh, here is... Uh, I'm looking now on my computer and for your students and young writers, what I have is probably thousand, 10,000 notes of, of just things. Uh, let me see what this is. And, and what I do is I, I just write without censoring and it could be a little something, a little, uh, Here's, okay, here is a nothing thing. A note on ghosts is that there was a ghost. Uh, I was doing a movie in Newport Beach and there was a ghost in the motel room, the hotel room. And they told me at the front desk that they apologized that they were sold out, but I would have to stay in the haunted room. And it was haunted. There was, there was something in the closet. And I went to inspect and there was nothing in the closet. There weren't even clothes, but I could hear there was something moving in the closet. 
I discovered what the ghost was. The room was built around the elevator of the Days End Lounge and when it, of the Days End Motel. And whenever the elevator went up or down, the shaft, which was right next to the closet, would make a noise like, like chains and things. So here is a note about ghosts uh, uh, in different hotel rooms. And there are several hotel rooms. Uh, uh, here's a note from when I went to uh, New Zealand. Everybody wears flip-flops in New Zealand, which means you can never really retreat from anything. When you're wearing a flip-flop, you can't run away from anything and you can't walk backwards. So the people in New Zealand have to be very steady and they have to move forward because of their footwear. And that pretty much defines the way people. So anyway, I just take these little notes every day, all the time. And sometimes they'll end up in stories or podcasts or whatever. No, so I would love about that is you're drawing parallels to everything and you're, you're, you're making sense of your life. And then I think in a lot of ways, that's what resonated. And, and then I started watching that, you know, you, you had people chiming in and like little groups of people were starting to talk about your episodes. And very rarely, very rarely did it have anything to do with about stories of Bill Murray. No, it had the stories about the teacher denying that you read a book. Oh, Bucky God. Beaver. Oh, no, sir, that's Bucky my Beaver goes to New York. That's yeah. my that's my favorite episode because I'm yeah. a teacher. Uh, like, like, I felt silly. Um, matter of fact, when I reached out to you, I sent a video. I was at, I was at the gym. Um, and so I, I felt silly. I was listening to that years ago. And I was at the gym. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a settlement all little guy. And uh, I was there working out. And all of a sudden, I'm crying. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, people are looking at me. I've got headphones <laughs> on. And I'm crying. Because that story touched my soul. But it hurt. Because yeah, it hurt. I, like, I... I, I if there's one thing I've always wanted my students to know is that I love them, but I've had bad days and maybe I said something or maybe I did something and, and I listen to that and I'm like, she, and of course the plot twist at the end, life is the best teacher, but it hurt me to know that a child who had been excited about reading got into it with a grumpy teacher who denied that you would ever be so excited to read the whole damn book. And she robs you of the love of reading for 30 years. And yeah. Yeah, a long time. And, and uh, one, one thing I try to do in the podcast, which, which is I, I try to avoid, I, I try to be specific and scientific and truthful about the way things affected me, whether I'm right or wrong. A lot of times I'm the fool in these stories. I'm completely wrong. And other times, like a lot of times when I'm young and I do these stories, I go, oh, my God, I was right. Like the, the story um, where I think I'm going to help my mother out and walk home from the YMCA and surprise her when I be home thinking like, well, it only takes 10 minutes to drive there. It probably only takes 30 minutes to walk home. And so without telling anyone, I'd leave the YMCA and start walking. And it had to have been six hours later and I'm crying. I have no money. I, I'm still far from home. 
and I end up passing the house of a girl that I knew was in my first grade class, and I was embarrassed for her to see that I was crying. But her mother came to the door and I said, could I please come in and use your phone? I'm lost. And I was able to call mom and dad who came and walloped me. I got to tell you, dad was on the phone when, when the phone rang. He and mom were obviously sitting around the phone because they obviously had called the police and they were expecting only the worst, that their little child who they took to the YMCA vanished from the YMCA. They expected he would be found dead. at the. They said they drained the pool and didn't find my body. They didn't know where I was. And dad's voice on the other end of the phone when I called and he picked up the receiver and went, yes. I had never heard that tone in my father's voice. And I go, dad, he goes, where are you? Where are you? I said, I'm at Jennifer's house. Where? I don't know. Let me put on the mother. They'll tell you where I am. And it, I mean, it was terrible, a terrible story. But again, people relate to their parents a certain way. And it's nice in the podcast that people see their parents from a kid's point of view. Sometimes it's different. So there's so many, like there's, there's just a parallel. I, I've, I've shared this with you. Um, uh-huh. Again, really close to my parents. Um, and they were prideful. They, they loved their son. And uh, except there was this, a matter of fact, I, I tell this story to my students every year. Um, and I, I said to them, uh, or I, I went over the details of his night. One, I was, I was 16 and uh, I wanted girls to like me. And uh, I went to a, <laughs> a high school party and um, long story made short, uh, the police came, uh, most people ran, most people got out, I did not. I was upstairs in, in the bathroom, uh, <laughs> and so I didn't have time. So there's enough of us there that I'm gonna, I'm gonna show off a little bit and I'm gonna tell these cops what's up. And I'm gonna no. let them know, well, I'm not really intelligent at this age, Stephen. <laughs> um, so it, the, the funny thing is, is that you know, the, the cops are like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to take you all to jail. And I'm like, you can't do nothing. And we're not old enough to go to jail. And they're like, you know what? We can really make this d- d- evening difficult on you. Everybody can go except for this ass clown, which I remember they called me an ass clown. And uh, I get to the police station. My, my dad has to go there. And I'm listening to him on the outside. Um, I mean, they, they didn't have me. I mean, I was, I was basically in an office. Um, and they were just telling my dad what kind of an idiot son they had. Um, and he just stood there and took it. I know, sir. I'm sorry, sir. This won't happen again, sir. And we get into the car and I said, I, like, I just, please yell at me. Silence. The whole ride home, silence. We get to my house and I'll never forget it. We had a fairly long driveway and he didn't pull into the driveway. He backed into the driveway. And he put the car in park and he set his head on the steering wheel. And I wasn't going to dare get out first. I had to sit there and wait. And he said, um, I said, please say something. And he says, what you've done to your mom, I just can't express. You've hurt her in a way that you just don't understand. And it was that night that I learned a little bit about, you know, my grandparents. <laughs> and it was that night that I learned, you know, that I had caused my mom some, some pain. But I was also grounded for three months, Stephen. 
And uh, there was this girl in my science class and she was gorgeous. And I always promised myself, I'd make promises to myself. I'm going to ask her out someday, but I was chicken because she's going to say no. She's, I was not a good looking kid. And uh, she was. And so I was like, all right, so I'm grounded for a while. So I get up the courage and I call this girl and I'm like, hey, some party. Yeah, I heard you got caught. Yeah, I heard you're an idiot and you stuck around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's the thing. I get ungrounded in March. I know this sounds crazy and I know you're going to say no, but like three months from now, you want to go out and get something to eat? She's my wife. No. She's my wife. No, no, no. My worst night became my best. And as I listen to you opine about and relive and all these other things, Stephen, I have had this emotional connection to your show because you have this zeal for life that I, I, I and, and quite frankly, there are times where I'll, I'll, I'll be, I've had an unusual, strange life and people are like, you're embellishing, you're making some of this stuff up. No, call my dad. I mean, some, I mean, and this, some of the things in your life have been uh, like the Radiohead David Byrne story. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to ruin it for the audience. Listen to it for yourself. But some of you are like, no, there's no way in hell. Are you serious? Uh, you've had a charmed life. My, from uh, the whole I could die from this to the, but I just love that you were reflecting on it and drawing parallels and you speak for a lot of people. I looked at one of my notes here. This is a note that hadn't made it into a podcast. But uh, when you're young, you look forward for your big break. When you're older, you look back to see when you were broken. Say that again, please. When you're young, you look forward for your big break. When you're older, you look back to see when you were broken. And I think... To me, that kind of describes the energy flow of my life. I was led by, you want to say, what my mother called joie de vivre, which me and my cat had, cat tiger. We both had joie de vivre, according to mom. But we, we all had this lust for life, but a lot of it was ambition. Like I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to go to Hollywood. I want things to work. And then at a certain point in life, I'm the teeter-totter. It starts to bend. And you start to look back, as you were saying earlier, about the things you regret, your mistakes. Where, where did I go wrong? Why did that happen? And you look, and, and I'm not sure yet what you hope to gain from that, except you, you hope, I, I, I mention always the, Jewish morning prayers, which, which I always thought was a problem of translation when I was younger. The very first prayer is in the morning, I guess, before any services, you, you do this prayer is that you wish that God grant you knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. And my whole life, I always thought they were the same. Knowledge, huh? Wisdom, okay. Discernment. Got it. And then as I've grown older, I realized, oh, I missed the whole point. Knowledge is facts. You know, teach me the world, teach me how things work. Wisdom is knowing beyond the facts, being able to see patterns beyond the patterns of the obvious. And discernment is knowing which is important and which is not. 
I, I have a new podcast that's coming out where I had to work for my uncle uh, over the summer and I had to alphabetize. And it was so boring. I hated it. <laughs> and, and but I was going to get paid minimum wage at the age of 12. So this was a big deal. And then I got to the Allens in the A's and I'm going like, Oh, God, this is the worst job in the world. And then I got to the Bakers. And I got, then I got to the Taylor, but there was nothing worse than getting to the Smiths. I thought I was going to die. It was days. It was thousands of Smiths. I was so happy when I got to Smithson. And I realized when I was writing this, that's discernment. The difference between Allen and Smith is discernment. And there's, it's hardship. You know, Allens were bad, but Smiths were so much worse. And nothing teaches you wisdom and choice more than discernment, and discernment comes from hardship. Like you were saying, I think this is why we look back to see where we were broken. So we hone our discernment and going like, okay, I see that doesn't work. Not going to do that ever again. Not going to do that. <laughs> How many times have I said that? But, and mean it, we're not going to do that anymore. We're, that, that is the road to uh, disaster. For sure. I almost want to ask, what was the last name? What was the last Smith? Was it Zwall? Was it Zudbury? Was it <laughs> that the story is even more horrible than that? That once I got through the Smiths, because I had to do this for the July fourth printout that my uncle's store was was doing. Again, this was many many years ago. And I was a kid, I was always listening to the transistor radio doing this. And my uncle Jaime came in and said, no radios at work. But Jaime, this is so boring. You know, Stephen, take the radio out. But I, listen, you're a reflection of me. If I let you wear your radio, I have to let everyone wear their radio. Take the radio off if you want to work here. Okay, Jaime. So I was that kind of employee. So I finished the Smiths. I hated my job, hated what I was doing. He was a saint. I'm going to put the tray of a thousand Smiths back into the shelf. And I was looking ahead. I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. I said, well, I just have T through Z. Okay, I have Taylors. I have Williams. That's going to be bad. But the rest of it should be a picnic. And I dropped the tray. And the thousand plates of the Smiths fell all over the floor. And this cry came from my soul. <laughs> oh, oh. oh and no. I had to compose myself and the damage was complete. They were little metal plates, all alphabetized. Now they'd scattered all over the floor in no order at all. And I went through the office to my uncle's door, the vice president of EM Cans, the, the head of the place knocked on the door, Uncle Jaime, can I see you? And he had never seen me so serious. And I didn't stand up and look out the window. I sat in the employee's chair in front of his desk. I said, Uncle Jaime, I made a mistake. What happened, Stephen? I dropped the tray with the Smiths. It's all gone. All the work is gone. He says, well, you know, that means we're not going to be able to do our 4th of July sale printing. I go, yes, sir. I know. 
He says, how long has it been taking you to do a tray? I go, a long time, sir. And then Jaime, and I, I love him so much for this. What he did was he curbed his anger and he sat back and said, Stephen, what do you propose we do? And I said, sir, there's only one thing we can do. We have to get the mailing out on time. And the only way I'm going to be able to do it is if I work extra hours. He says, well, you can work till nine o'clock tomorrow night. Do you think that'll work? I said, I'll give it a try. He says, okay, we'll give it a try. He goes, Stephen, employing you has so far cost this company $2,700. And I turned around and I said, Uncle Jaime, I'm sorry. And Uncle Jaime said, Stephen, do better. And I said to him, I'll try, sir. And he said, I know you will. And that, ex that exchange with Uncle Jaime, probably more than any other real job I ever had in my life, told me more about business, more about business associations, more about what's expected of you when you're a worker. You're not there for fun. You're there to be part of a team. Uh, I think the things we learn when we're young are extraordinarily potent if, if we're able to remember them in a kind of accurate way and not, for example, like the teacher you mentioned who was such a monster to me but without believing me is to, is to not frame it in, in terms that are highly dramatic, but just tell the truth that if it would have been so simple, instead of accusing me of lying, that I didn't read the entire book. It would have been so simple for her to ask me two questions, three questions. What happens in the last chapter of the book? What's the first thing Bucky Beaver does when he comes to New York City? What does the conductor say to Bucky Beaver on the train ride to New York? And she didn't ask me these questions. And I surmise now with my adult brain that she could not ask me those questions because she didn't read the book herself. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I like that Jaime uh, expressed his disappointment and yet at the same time, his belief. His belief. That's tough. And, 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 and like when you wanted a shoulder to cry on, like your family, you should, nope. He what, asked, what do you think we should do about it? Was yes, huge. at the age of 12. Yes. He gave me the responsibility and said, what do you propose we do? Right. And I yeah. think if he said, if I said like, well, I'm done and walked out of here, he would have said, there's the door. Sure. Well, I mean, there's a lot of variables there, but the, 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 the one that he chose is I'm still disappointed but what are you going to do about it? And then when you kind of ran for comfort, like, you know, you didn't fish for more overtime hours. You were like, I've really, I, I, you, you hit it on the, I only have one choice. <laughs> he set a little trap though. When he said, you have cost this company $2,700. What a, what an emotionally good trap he set. But in that moment, you're like, okay, I either can man up or I'll run away. And uh, I think the question is man up. That phrase, you, you take a look back at some point in time and woman up too. I mean, there's a time when you realize responsibility yes. is part of the job of yes. being human. 
Yes. Matter of fact, let me circle on that. When I was talking to you about stopping me in my tracks, and 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 this is a one I, I messaged you on. I can't decipher which podcast it is, and you had taken it um, from from the book, uh, uh, um, My Adventures with God. But it was when your mom had come to visit, and just oh. chaos was going on. And seriously, I, I've carried the story. I've re, I've told the story to other people because this, to me, was if your life is uh, this this if your life is a is a play. This is, in my opinion, this is the epiphany. Um, and you wrote so to set it up. And I boy, I don't want to run it. If you guys could get the chance to a get the book and b, I'll figure out which podcast episode this is. But your your mom finally kind of took your hand and said are you okay, basically? And then it hit you that your mom had said the most primary instinct is self-preservation. And then you had this thought, and I'm going to read it here. The real primary instinct is transcendence. More than safety, more than happiness, we are driven to reach beyond ourselves, even if it means our own destruction. We seek transcendence through sex, drugs, prayer, poetry, electric guitars, alcohol, pornography, superheroes, ballet, barbecue, zombies, trampolines, yoga, skydiving, Billie Holiday, Beethoven, Broadway musicals, running through forest fires on your way home from school, all-you-can-eat buffets, Santa Claus, and the lazy man's form of transcendence, lying. Anything you reach beyond, oh, by the way, that's my favorite part. Anything you reach beyond because of what my mother said, your life is your life. And we want that life to be as big as we can be. Stephen, if I think that there is an epidemic in, in right now, and I, I'm, I'm not saying this to embellish, but I work with kids. And the poor man's version of transcendence is what we're living through. I'm going to put on my Instagram. I'm going to take, I'm going to go over to this Lamborghini, of which I do not own. I'm going to let people think that I own this Lamborghini. And so I'm really going to feel worse about myself, but I'm also going to make a lot of other kids feel bad about themselves because they don't own the damn Lamborghini either. We are living through an epidemic of being, as you put, the lemmings trying to dive off a, a taller cliff. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sad and I'm sick of it. I don't even know how we put the toothpaste back in the tube because was the Samuel Clemens line, the death of joy's uh, comparison. We are comparing ourselves constantly. We're trying to filter our life to where we're living the best life ever. And in a day and age where we're connected to everyone, we are connected to no one. And it is a crisis. Um, as I, I read I, that again, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. I, I think uh, there is the feeling of not enough, you know, uh, I, Rabbi uh, Bernhard at, at our synagogue had a great sermon once, and it's really stayed with me, and it was about uh, Esau and uh, Jacob, right? And if you remember the story from the Bible, Jacob fools Esau, right, in getting his, his father's blessing, uh, Esau's the oldest son, and back then the oldest son always got the blessing, but Isaac was blind, and Jacob fools the father into thinking he's Esau, and so Jacob gets the blessing, which I guess was a big financial coup back then, you know, in the new stone age, so it was a big deal 
to get the blessing of the father. It meant you get all the wives and you get all the money and you get the property. And it caused this chaos and vitriol between Jacob and Esau their entire lives. Esau was determined to kill Jacob. And it finally reaches a head in which Jacob is on the plane. Esau's family and army are approaching. Jacob sends his wife or wives back, sends them all away, sends his soldiers away, and sleeps alone on the plain. And that's the night he has the dream of Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder with the angels going up and down from earth, in which he had no idea what that dream meant. And Jung mentions that dream in a lot of his writings, that a lot of his patients have similar dreams of transporting from earth into another being, whether people are religious or not. So Jacob decides not to run, but to go into the camp of Esau alone. And there is discussion that maybe he wasn't alone alone, but he didn't have his army with him. Maybe he had a couple buds with him, but he went into the camp alone and he walked up to Esau and he apologized. And the brothers embraced and it was good. And my rabbi goes forward and says, how is this possible? It's possible because they both felt they had enough. And the real plague is feeling that we don't have enough. So we want more, uh, which leads to lying. You know, we, we feel like we have to lie to, you know, assume a virtue you have not. We, we have to lie to pretend that we have more. And I do agree that we're living in an age in which so much has been kind of pruned away from our lives, just like the playground where my kids played. It's all been redone with, you know, uh, cushions and and foam pads on the ground. So if any children fall, they're not going to break their heads like in my day. I mean, I mean, it was sometimes you f- fell and got hurt, but I guess there are too many lawsuits. And so now you can't have swings. You can't have slides. It's all too dangerous. And you remove these, hey, what is a slide but transcendence? What is a swing but transcendence? I can't do this as a person, but with this implement, I can fly through the air. And you put a kid on a swing, and it's not long before they're pretending they're Superman, lying on their stomach on the swing and pretending that they're flying, and their imagination is flying with them. And we keep taking away the objects of transcendence, making the world safer and safer, but the world will never be safe. I I mean, it's not made to be that way. It doesn't work at that speed. Uh, And so I feel there is a plague of people feeling they're not enough. I like, you know, you, like there's though a difference on transcendence between uh, additive and deductive. I mean, they're like the, the child on the swing thinking Superman is the additive, like the, the wanting to chase ecstasis, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Wanting to go down, wanting to go downhill skiing and escape reality is one thing. Uh, so I like that. And, and, and reading a book 
pretending you're there, uh, listening, listening to a baseball game on a transistor radio underneath your pillow uh, at night so your parents don't catch you. It's transcendence. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, but so is lying. And, and I, I think that the, the, the one thing that I really wanted to <clears throat> love is when your mom said, your life is your life. She knew that you were there trying to impress your Hollywood friends. And, and there's something so selfish about that. And at the same time, so universal and wonderful. Like right now, people saying, I'm going to live my life and, and, and I want what's best for me. People might say, oh my gosh, how selfish. But at the same time, there's that whole reason why when you board an airplane, they said, hey, in case of emergency, don't put on your child's mask, you'll die. Then you're no good for your child. Put your own damn mask on. Now you can be better. T transcending and making your life better Awesome. Your mom's saying, honey, your life is your life. Remember that. I think was among the most beautiful things. Because in that moment, which I, I still like, that's, uh, other than the teacher episode, that one was where I stopped and went, huh. Because taking care of yourself in an additive way, and not necessarily jumping off the cliff of lemmings in the deductive way, is really the key. And and again, your, your ability in, in to share all these things. I've said to my students several times, my, my own children, I have three children, and I always tell them this. If they were here, they'd roll their eyes. They've heard it so many times. I said, I'll tell them, Grant, Ava, Anna, if your life was a book, would anybody read it? If I catch my kids too long sitting on, playing on a video game, listening to somebody else's podcast, it, it like consuming everybody else's content. What are you producing? Are you living a life worthwhile enough? And, and if you are, document it. And I love your idea. You just jot notes down along the way. Doing a three, two, one reflective video. You, you you're arming yourself of a drawing parallels and understanding your own life and your own journeys and the lessons learned from it. But you know what? I, like I don't care if anybody reads it. Write your own damn book. And if you know that you're on a journey and, and you want to make Joseph Campbell proud. What heroic journey are you on? Like right before you're going to be destroyed, you know that there's going to be rebirth. Um, I'm, I'm wishing that for more people. And, and you, in no uncertain terms, have really brought that to so many people. Um, my, one of my last questions, that I, I, I would prefer we go on for hours, but in respect for your time, um, I know that I've seen people write stuff. Um, what has the feedback from... I don't even want to call fan, like fan base because that means they're fanatical. These are well thought out people. But what is the feedback from your listeners? Uh, what has that said to you? And, and what does that do? It's been amazing. It's been amazing. Now I wrote basically the purpose of the podcast was for my kids, you know, so they would, because I had broken my neck, right. And I was feeling very mortal. And I thought I want my kids to know who their father was in case this neck doesn't heal and in case I'm gone, wow. and then they're going to know a little bit about my life. And so I started writing all these stories about my childhood, about my mother and father and going to elementary school and junior high. And the first girl I fell, okay, like Claire Richards, who I fell in love with when she was eight, playing picking up pawpaws, put them in your pocket. Um, I was in Portland, Oregon, uh, at Powell's Bookstore. I was doing a reading there uh, for my adventures with God. So this is about two years ago. 
maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago. And the fourth floor of Powell's bookstore is really beautiful, magnificent, filled with books and the people sit in the, and, and I'm telling this story about when I used to play guitar with Stevie Ray Vaughan, like that goes in the category of like, huh, say what, you know, in high school. Uh, so I'm telling this story and in, into Powell's bookstore in Portland, Oregon, I see Claire Richards, but not Claire Richards. It couldn't be Claire Richards because this was Claire Richards as she would have been when we graduated from high school. This was Claire I knew from high school. And I'm walking and there she is and I can't keep my eyes off of this woman. And she stands at the back and then they, at the end of the show, everybody forms a line and I sign books and they come up and get it. And she comes up to get a book and I said, I am so sorry that I keep staring at you. It's just, you remind me of someone that I loved. And she goes, I'm her daughter. No. Yes. I'm her daughter. I'm Claire's daughter. And I don't live in Portland. I was flying to visit people, friends here, and I saw an ad for your reading on television when I landed. And I thought, I'm going to go to Stephen's reading. And so she came to the show and she said, I want, and here's the answer to your question. She says, I want to thank you for your podcast because my mother never told us anything about her life. She had been so depressed for various reasons in her life. She didn't share anything about her past or her childhood, but I know my mother because of your podcasts. I know my mother when she was a bluebird and when she was eight years old and when she played the piano, when you went to the senior prom with her. And I know my mother now because of you. And I got the greatest gift yesterday. I, I should mention my children never listen to my podcast. I wrote the podcast. So same, the kids can same. Yeah, <laughs> never, never. So anyway, my son now, young Lord William, is a doctor, just graduated Johns Hopkins Medical School. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Patting myself on the back right as we <laughs> speak. And William said, and, and what he's doing, he's on the front line of COVID now, and he's dealing with a lot of mentally ill patients who cannot take their medication because of COVID. And he said, Dad, I was listening to some of your podcasts. He said, this is the key that we need to fight COVID with. Because these patients, they can't read. They can't see anything. They can't, they don't know anything really about life. And your stories are so truthful about life. If they listen to your stories as entertainment, it would be a great form of therapy. And I was going like, well, well, <laughs> I couldn't get sued, could I? I mean, if anything went wrong, I couldn't get. But I got actually a compliment from my son about the podcast, which was I never expected in my life. Never. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, 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 I concur with your son that it, it I don't know, uh, as I started off this podcast, you, you know how to paint words uh, and you know how to deliver them. Uh, I think that's the, been the, the fun one-two punch is that, um, you know, like your, your uh, audiobook, 
I'm glad that you narrate it and not a, I mean, and some people are like, some people have made careers off of yes. know, Audible. Some people are fantastic, but I'm glad that, that, uh, that it was you. Um, because yeah, you, you, you um, capture so many things, you know, we, my gosh. And, and maybe if I can humor you into doing a second podcast, maybe a, a couple months from now, but dangerous animals club, uh, like I, I see my son. So it, fun fact, uh, we, we moved into a house and we have a Creek. And uh, my son was kind of into it. And then like a blessing from God, um, our new across the creek neighbors move in. They have, a son, they have a son that's about eight months, year younger than Grant. But uh, this kid was enamored like, there are snakes and turtles and fish in this creek. <laughs> and it's Dangerous Animals Club. And, I love uh, it. Well, and then all of a sudden, so my oldest daughter, who's a bit uh, brave, uh, decided to pick up the snake. And like, I, like amazingly, the snake didn't buy it. Like water snakes are testy little animals. It was fine. It let it let out a musk that made their hands smell like awfulness for two days. But you know, all of a sudden, Grant was like, "Well, if my sister's going to pick up the snake, and he's quite a bit younger, uh, you know, she's nineteen, he's eleven. So he's all of a sudden he's picking up snakes, catching turtles, catching fish. And one of my thoughts was, and thus it begins the Dangerous Animals Club. That yeah, transcendence. Transcendence. We haven't bought them two snails. No, no, no. We, uh, we ended up with two snails. I just came across another of my little notes that I took from a dream or something that I think epitomizes one of the problems you were talking about. And that is, the basic problem is that apologies are written on sand, injuries are written in stone. Mm. And I think this is one of the problems we have. Mm. that people feel the injuries that mm. happen to them in their lives as written in stone yep. and the apologies don't have any weight or, or any strength or the next tide it's forgotten. You got it. Yeah. And obviously the injuries are just as much mental. Mm. Well, heck, uh, you coming to terms with Bucky Beaver and your teacher, that injury lasted a while. Oh, my whole life. I mean, for years I didn't read. For right. years I didn't read because yeah. of her. Yeah. Well, for the and, and a decent part of the audience here uh, are educators. So um, I think that was episode number 60 on the Tobolowski Files. Uh, I highly recommend you check that out. Matter of fact, I just recommend <clears throat> if you have caught on anything on this podcast, uh, these are just but a few nuh-uh stories of Mr. Tobolowski's life and the strange no. Are you serious? He's embellishing now. It's it's just, but at the same time, uh, that's a life well, well lived. And uh, I enjoy the way you embrace it. Uh, I enjoy the fact that you're passing these on now to people that need to hear it. And uh, all, all these notes that you're taking that you're, you're bringing value to the world. Uh, seriously, Stephen, I... Appreciate you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for connecting. <laughs>